We talk about the anonymous op-ed in the New York Times. Robin interviews engineer and yoga instructor Linda Gaffney. And it's took like a pirate day on the left skate, mateys. The Dread Pirate Wendy talking at you. And this is Bloody Mary. Arr. Ah, scallywags. And this is Robin El Terrible. And that's all we're doing for Talk Like a Pirate Day because I'm sure you don't, not only do we not want to say that, talk like that for the rest of our cast because we <laughs> want to have voices left. Uh, and I'm sure you guys are going to be really tired of hearing that after about a second or two. Uh, I'm tired of hearing it. <laughs> we can talk about pirates a little bit, can't we? Yes, yes we so. can. <laughs> Our favorite pirate? Perhaps. Yeah. Well, we, we're posting a picture of one of two of our favorite pirates, right? Yes, these are my two favorite pirates which are my friends, Bat and Galen. Bat is sadly no longer with us on the physical plane, but uh, I still love him very much. And his husband, Galen, who um, they would throw these amazing pirate parties that I never was able to attend, but I'd always see their pictures and be very jealous. And they're gonna be our feature picture on our website. They are two of my favorite people of any type. You know, and and I, I really miss that a lot, also. But they're um, just really solidly loving humans, and that's a that's a I don't want to say it's rare, but it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, they're my favorite people too. So, Robin, who are who is your favorite pirate? I have got to go with Adam Ant for my favorite pirate. <laughs> <laughs> you a pirate? He was, yeah, he kind of had a pirate flair about him. He still does. He's still performing and stuff. Um, and, yeah, he had what they called a new romantic style, but he never really embraced that term, I guess. But he's, he did sort of a throwback, um, sexy, swashbuckling kind of a, kind of a look. And um, it, I was thought about him today because I heard the song I Want Candy, which is actually by Bow Wow Wow, but those were... The musicians for that band were actually the original Adam Ant band, and I because they have that clickety clack background sound. Huh. Um, and I thought, oh yeah, Adam, you know, and uh, <laughs> he's just one of, to me, was one of the sexiest people ever, <laughs> and um, and I and I like his really oddball songs too. So he is my favorite pirate. Well, speaking of sexy pirates, I uh, Mary reminded me this before we started recording um, when I was a kid. My mom was a huge uh, Errol Flynn fan, and she kind of got me into it, and I always thought he was the hottest in the movie Captain Blood. Well, that's, uh, okay, that covers my favorite pirate, yeah. No, you have to, you're, you were, I was segueing for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
that was my favorite part. Errol was, uh, Flynn? I thought it was the guy that wrote uh, the books. Well, first of all, it, it's Errol Flynn. But okay. Errol Flynn I'm sorry. leads to, he did more than one pirate movie. He did a number of them. Captain Blood was one, The Black Swan, um, uh, several others. But all these movies were written by, or came from books that came out in like the 1920s. And they were uh, written by Raphael Sabatini. And I was a big Raphael Sabatini fan. I was also a um, Alexander Dumas fan. So I read all of the Three Musketeers things. And then I read all of Raphael Sabatini. And because he's out of print, it's kind of hard to find. But you go to used bookstores, and it, it became like a detective thing to, to scout around and find Raphael Sabatini books. And I have to mention that, so he wrote, he wrote, um, uh, what was the one you just said? Captain Blood and uh, The Black Swan. He also wrote Scaramouche, oh. which led us to the Freddie Mercury song. The, I was going to say, it's really hard to not start singing when you hear that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything that had sword fighting in it. I'm big into sword fighting. And that movie so. should be open by the time this show airs. Yes, or right around then. Yeah, I think Bohemian so. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I, that I should so. be the movie should be open at some point this month. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, yeah, we're we're recording this on uh, on Tuesday, September 11th. So, um, so uh, Robin, what are the the weeks <laughs> that the national weeks that we're supposed to be? Um, aware of and celebrating this week. I will tell you that in a second, but I also wanted oh. to mention one more favorite pirate thing really quickly. Okay. Oh, cool. That I really like a song called Pirates of the Rim by Moss, who is a an old friend of mine and a, and a very uh, interesting, humorous um, musician who's got some fun points, some good points to make in his work as well. He's like one of my favorites traveling People I like to listen to when I travel. So uh, sounds... maybe we'll hear little bits of this song, this episode. Mm -hmm. Okay. Could you cool. could you also maybe post a link to the song on the website in its entirety? I shall do that. Okay, Absolutely. awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but this week, what do we got going on? We've got Farm Animals Awareness Week and Farm and Ranch Safety and Health Week. So that's that. That's cool. Rehabilitation Awareness Week. I guess National Mary needs that. Yes, yes. We need to get Mary back to uh, back to walking. Oh. being. You're walking a little bit now, yeah? No, not at all. No. Oh, I, not at all yet. Oh, in case people missed, I uh, on Labor Day weekend I fell down my cellar steps and broke my ankle. So, I am, I am uh, incapacitated. Laid up. Now. Yep. Yeah, but I didn't miss recording the podcast. <laughs> well, you you have awesome. your priorities straight. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> the day I came home from the hospital, we recorded. That's true. That was yeah. That took some effort. So thank you. <laughs> and it is What's National happened? Singles Week, which is I don't know, not interesting to me actually as a single person. <laughs> Um, National Historically Black Colleges and Universities Week, which is really cool. Um, I did not go to a historically black college, but I would, I'm always interested to hear 
people's stories about that experience and what that was like. Um, it seems like it, it, it Are there is a, a lot of them? Um, I don't know the number, actually. I know... I really know I, of, like, Howard University myself. Right, right. No, there are there are others, and I am don't have the list of them in my head, but um, it sounds like a really positive experience for a lot of people, which is cool that that's there. But are, folks aren't that, I being a typical white person asking you, uh, <laughs> how many black colleges are there? <laughs> like, because right. you should know. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, okay, moving along. <laughs> it's indoor plant week, yeah. of which I should pay attention to because my plants are like suffering. They need to be repotted. They need lots of love. So my indoor plants are outdoors. Right, they spend the summer outside because they actually like it a lot. And I had plants that were my. I have a ficus that is older than my child. Um, and my child is 24. So uh, this was my mother's ficus. It's like the last surviving plant from her house that we rescued after she died. And I've had this plant for 15 years. And I think it was probably at least 15 or 20 years old by the time my mom died. And it was very sad in my house. And I put it out on my front porch last summer and all of a sudden it started sprouting a whole lot of new leaves and all of this stuff so now all my indoor plants go outside and i keep thinking this might be the week maybe to take them back inside i don't know what other days are there other celebrations we've got we've got celebrate bisexuality day which is um one of my favorite days to celebrate september 23rd um there are events always planned like around the country and world even, uh, where people do buy visibility events, um, discussions, parties, that sort of thing to celebrate being bi. Um, it is also the start of Bi Visibility Week, or, or hashtag Bi Week, if you want to let people know about it online, on Twitter at, and elsewhere. So that runs through September 30th. So there should be lots of things going on online and in real life for that, but apparently we keep expanding and some people are now considering the entire month of September by, by visibility, by awareness month. So that's really cool. I think there's yeah. lots to talk about between health and sexuality and love and politics and there's a lot to always um, address the B specific in the LGBTQ community. So that um, there's lots of stuff check going on. You can just out online or in your community what's happening so uh on this day in 1957 uh nevada had the it was the site of the first ever underground nuclear explosion and oh boy. yeah and in 1827 jim bowie sta- or Bowie stabs a louisiana banker with his now famous knife so. I think that is really kind of amazing because when I was a little kid, there was a very popular TV show called Jim Bowie, and it was presented by Disney. <laughs> and now I find out that the guy's a murderer. They never well, mentioned that on the TV show. I didn't say killed him, so just stabbed him. <laughs> but uh, um, and still, I, I for Disney. Well, they also did. Didn't they do Davy Crockett? I don't know. Oh yeah, Disney yeah. wasn't. Uh, Disney wasn't 
like afraid of uh, of violence. I mean, Bambi, you know. And you look <laughs> back, and some of the things were not exactly the most PC either. You know. Yeah, yeah that too. Um, but it's like uh, I'm also I've also been watching um, because sometimes we're just really don't know what to watch on TV and we're flipping around through the the Hulu listings and they had uh, this show called Forged in Fire, which is basically a bunch of guys hammering on metal and melting it and making knives and other Uh weapons. Uh, So so the first segment, they have to make some kind of a a blade and and they only have like three hours and I would say two thirds of the people make a a bowie knife or a bowie knife. I don't know how you say that. and uh, also on this day in 1881, President James Garfield dies a- 80 days after being shot. Um, Ooh. That's a long time. Yeah, he lived for a couple, a few months after, after the, his assassination attempt and was finally successful. Um, and... On this day in 1969, Nixon cancels draft calls for November and December and um, during the Vietnam War. And I'm assuming that was to uh, help elect more Republicans um, in the, ele- you know, because it happened right before an election. So yeah, because then right after that they had the draft again. Yeah, so, so I just he canceled it as a as a as a move to get people to vote for things he and I'm not sure if that was it was not his reelection time, right? It was a midterm election. Midterm. Yeah. So who's got birthdays today? Oh well, first of all, we have to say happy birthday to Jimmy Fallon and to Twiggy. Jimmy Fallon. And huh? I'm just yeah. saying, happy birthday to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. And Tricia Yarwood. I don't know her. She's a singer. She's a musician. Yeah. Yeah. David McCallum, I know who he is because I'm an old lady. And I used to watch <laughs> Man from Uncle. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's when I, that's when I, I fell for him, too. So. Ilya Koryakin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lita Ford, Adam West, the Batman, and astronaut Sunita Williams, and Tegan and Sarah. Yes, Tegan and Sarah are identical twin singer-songwriters from oh. Canada. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. Yep. Okay, happy birthday, all you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that has been very much in the news and people are probably sick of it by Mm -hmm. now is the anonymous op-ed in the New York Times. Um, So I just wanted to pose the question, what value do people think it has? Is it encouraging at all? Is it damaging? Um, What do you think? Well, I think that anything that annoys the 45 is is a good (laughs) thing. <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, maybe it's going to distract him from screwing us over somewhere else. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, the op-ed itself, I find uh, problematic, only because um, they, the, it, you know, they that was it the phrase "constitutional crisis." Um, 
they're causing a constitutional crisis because there's actually something in the Constitution called the 25th Amendment that is there to for specifically for this purpose to get rid of somebody who can't do the job. And that's not a constitutional crisis. That's using the Constitution for what it was designed to do. So I think they're causing a constitutional crisis by not doing, by their inaction. And, you know, that's kind of, and now, and now I wait for the, but Pence is worse. Um, <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. Well, you know what really hit me when I first heard about this too was I wanted to say, uh, why? Why are they saying this or presenting this at this particular time? What is it? What is the purpose of this op-ed? Is it to reassure us? Don't worry. Um, everything's taken care of or and vote Republican. It, <laughs> yeah. Or is there something else? Is it another distraction? You know, or because now, well, now Trump is all hot on trying to find out who wrote this. And while he's doing that, is he not doing other things he could be doing that are worse? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a weird, I have a, a weird mixed feeling about it too. I think that a lot of the commentary I've heard about it is right, that there's some reason that they're staying in that administration and perhaps it's because they are continuing to get some benefit by keeping him in that position, you know? So that's yeah. sort of the, the cynical way of looking at it, um, which I think has a lot of you know truth to it. But on the other hand, I think anything that does shed light on the situation there, and maybe it's helpful to have someone who says that they basically agree with a lot of what he's done, but there's a lot that's fucked up too, and we're trying to mitigate that. Maybe yeah, but, that. But the what does he the agree with what he's done? What part of that is it? Like the uh, the incarceration of the immigrants? Is it you know it, it's some of this? Is it the this, me, the I, stripping of the environmental laws? Is it the you know the cash right. grab by the the corporations and the very wealthy? I mean, is that I'm the stuff say, he's I'm agreeing not with? That it's like, good. I'm not saying that any of it's good, is positive, <laughs> but I mean, I think that there's value to having people working within and outside of the system i agree i agree but help. i also and wonder I and i'm not saying that yeah I, I don't know that i would agree with anything else that they would uh, would would support you know but uh, um that's my only point about it that okay it's kind of it's good to know that some people are working against the tide and i think it's what i i already knew like a lot of people say also that this is not actual news that we, most people have been aware, or people that are paying attention are aware that not everyone is on board with him. But um, so it was a little glimpse into that. I'm not saying it was great. I'm. I think that they could do better, but I'm not as um, offended by this op-ed as a lot of people have been on the left. No, I, I'm not offended by it. I'm. I'm. In some annoying. ways, it was it was interesting, like, you know, when you slow down to look at a traffic accident kind of thing, it's it, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's it's uh, stimulating that part of my personality, I guess, uh, like to see what what the you know, to hear about the actual train wreck. And and that's another um, <clears throat> that will kind of ties into the next thing we want to talk about. I but I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it yet. I don't want to do it yet. But um 
the one one of the things that just listening to you guys talking just reminding me like if this is if this is what's happening when people are actually like restraining him like what the fuck was he planning to do <laughs> that that they that they that didn't get past the uh the Oval Office doors. I mean, was there even worse shit that he was going to do that, that, uh, I mean, is it like, do they, do they hide the launch codes from him? Is that, I don't I know. They do. I seriously hope they do. That was Trevor Noah's joke actually. Too. Yeah. Okay. He was like, this was, this was watered down Trump. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you kind of, it, it makes you, makes you think that. And, and I think somebody else wrote, um, like a rebuttal op-ed that said, you know, you may be trying to, you know, save your career after the Trump administration, but it's too late, dude. <laughs> you've already, you've already thrown your career away. So, um, I think that was the, the kind of the gist of one of the other, the uh, other, the op-ed saying, uh, the op-ed writer, the anonymous op-ed writer is a coward, you know, and, and they, they would talk about why and, and thinking that this is, somebody trying to like cover their ass after they decide they're not quitting. I know a lot of people have quit the administration or been been asked to quit. Uh, what is it? I don't even know the number of people that have rotated in and out of there at this point. More than 50. Wow. Probably, I think. <laughs> I'm just picturing that wall, the, the <laughs> list that, that Rachel Maddow would put up and all the names on the wall. It looked like a lot. Yeah, that, but, that was that was kind of funny for a while, and I think it's it's probably beyond the scope of it. Can't, probably can't fit on the wall behind her at this point. Yeah, I think they gave up on that. Well, it's also the kind of thing like these jobs are not the kind of thing that you can just come in and be excellent at it from day one. I, I don't know Unless really. Unless you have some kind of experience in that field. Or you've done this specific thing before, you know, otherwise you, yeah. there's a, there's a learning curve and, and when you keep churning, it's, it's, I mean, that's why nothing's getting done really in the government except like dismantling stuff. The other thing we were going to talk about is more of the, the Woodward book that came out uh, last week. Well, yeah, I think that it's connected. I think the person who wrote the op knew that Woodward's book was coming out, and they're connected in some way. And they're trying to get ahead of it? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I, I got the book on the day that it came out, and I will be reading it uh, hopefully more voraciously than I've read a lot of other things. I get caught up in every other thing I need to do and I haven't been reading as much as I want to but this is one I really want to um, take in completely. Yeah, I've given myself an assignment to read this book uh, I'm going to go buy it when we're done recording and I'll get the, the ebook version and I'll read it on my uh, on my Kindle reader and and, um, and then I guess we can discuss it next week, I don't know <laughs> the, the, the other thing that I, I just wanted to add to that that just has been hitting me so much is every time uh, Trump says, oh, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy that wrote the book. Woodward. <laughs> I just spaced out. Woodward, yeah. Had my, my senior moment for the day. Um, how, how he keeps on saying, ah, he's a hack. He, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Huh? You know, he's, he's like a nobody. And I'm thinking, ah, no, he's not a nobody. <laughs> 
We, yeah. We've seen we've seen all the president's men. We know who he is. He's brought down an administration before. And, yeah. And yeah. and sadly, I just wish he had come out with this book like a I, year ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, coming out right before the midterms is good. Let's hope uh, yeah. it has an effect that that an outcome that would be you know actually beneficial to the country. I hope so. I mean, I think that Woodward is trusted in um, in a significant way, and I know that there's that certain percentage that will never hear it, but a lot I think in the middle will, and that's that's helpful. Supreme Court. Well, I don't know by the time this comes out whether it'll be a done deal or whatever, but I'm still fighting against Kavanaugh. I'm still fighting against Kavanaugh. And I, and I, I was doing research uh, for an article I was writing for my union newsletter on on his, uh, his uh, particular um, writings and his decisions that had to do with workers. And that was ridiculous. It was ridiculous for the things that he was approving. But, but then... I was surprised by this video that came up, the senator from Hawaii, who was talking to him and reading what he had written uh, as far as about Hawaii and the native people of Hawaii and trying the indigenous people and trying to say that they didn't count as being indigenous because they were from Polynesia. And the senator had to say, um, Mr. Kavanaugh, do you realize that Hawaii is in Polynesia? <laughs> so they are—they are not from another place. They're indigenous, and because he was trying to deny them benefits for indigenous people, and uh, she also wanted to um, let it be known that this is going to apply to indigenous people in Alaska too. And um, how was how was that theory working that they that they originally came from from your uh, from Asia over the over the the ice bridge? Oh, yeah. I mean, how what I is his know. theory? What is his theory saying that 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 Alaskan that uh, indigenous Alaskans are not Native American, you know, are not are not uh, uh allowed to have the same well, protections that Native Americans. Africa, didn't they? Everybody came from Africa anyway. Well, yeah, to, um, you know, 200,000 years ago or 250,000 yeah. years ago, but... Yeah, well, her her thing, her argument was to just to say, Alaska, you better watch out because the senator from Alaska uh, has to keep in mind that her constituents her that were backing her a lot were uh, um, indigenous people. Yeah, that's a good move, I think. I think we, it's, uh, she's one of the senators, Murkowski is one of the ones that might change her mind. And I certainly I, hope so. I think that's where the pressure still lies. What are you doing, Mary, to continue the fight? Are you making phone calls? Are you sending just, you know, uh, online well, type stuff? What's happening? I, I'm kind of being a bit preoccupied with being in pain and having my foot up and all, but. But I still have done some uh, calls. Good. We had to keep it up um, regardless, I think. Yeah. Hello, this is Robin Renee. 
You can find me online at robinrene.com. And my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out. And you can like me at facebook.com slash Fan. Tweet at me at Spirit Rock Sexy and follow me on Instagram at Robin Renee Music. I would love to hear from you. The Leftscape is sponsored by Harlequin and Other Fantasies, a meditative coloring book for grown-ups. Over 30 original illustrations to color, printed on 80-pound cover stock paper to avoid bleed-through with alcohol-based markers like Sharpies. Spiral bound to lay flat when open. Printed on one side so you can frame your masterpiece without sacrificing another drawing. Subjects include animals, people, mandalas, steampunk, Celtic knotwork, and so much more. Use Leftscape at checkout to get free shipping. See the Leftscape website for details. Purchase Harlequin and other fantasies from wendycards.com. I'm very happy to announce that next week on our show, we will have Cedric Maurice. He is a bi-social activist and currently stationed in Boston. He is the founder of Atlanta's first and second bisexual networks. He is also a sex-positive secular minister and artist, and most recently he was featured as a contributor to a great book called Recognize, The Voices of Bisexual Men, which was edited by Robin Oakes and H. Sharif Williams. So I am very excited to be having this conversation with Cedric Maurice. So tune in for that next week. So I am here with Linda Gaffney. She is a professional engineer with an interest in sustainable engineering. And she also is a yoga teacher. I actually know her uh, from the yoga community, and we've been friends for a long time. So I am happy to talk to you. Good. Hi, Robin. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things that I really uh, am interested in about you is your passion about environmentalism. And I just wondered if you'd speak a little bit about that. Oh, okay. Um, Well, I can tell you a little bit about how I got into it, but uh, let let me connect onto your word for passion for a second. Because a lot of people say passion, like, what's your passion? And if you ask me passion, I don't necessarily feel it like that way, but I feel it like traction. In other words, I feel like I'm scanning the world and I see something that interests me and then I put it in low gear and I'll just like kind of work my way, like grind those gears towards that goal. So I don't necessarily feel it like excitement, but more that I feel driven towards certain directions. Um, So... Does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, is there something, Is there, was there original spark that you can remember that took you in that, um, on that path? So my background is, um, you know, I worked in the defense industry for a long time. And when I retired from there, I had an intention of being something, doing something more personal uh, with respect to helping the environment or people. So that was my goal when I, when I left the, um, the defense industry. And... Um, you know, with that intention, I, I had pursued getting uh, certified in um, solar energy. And um, so I took the, the, the exam, it's called NABSEP, which is the, um, the national organization that certifies solar installers. And, um, and then since then, all, all these other things happened that, that, that spun off into other things. But that was my original thought that I would do something with solar panels. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I got involved in some nonprofits and just kind of like keep things just kept going from there. Mm-hmm. Do you feel um, working in defense spurred that in particular? Um, 
I think that that was my thought that, you know, had been in that industry and I was okay with when I was there. I felt okay with that. But that when I left that, um, you know, I wanted to do something different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's good. So tell me about some of the projects you've done. So, uh, let me just say what I, what I did. So, um, so I did solar panel stuff and then I got, I went for some extra training with an organization called Solar Energy International. And one of the things they did was like solar for developing countries. So I went to Costa Rica with one of their projects and helped install like a a very small solar electric system on a house there. Um, And then after that, uh, there was a call from people. They had asked people that had been in that program or that organization. uh, They were kind of recruiting from the um, uh, We Care Solar. Was, was contacting people from the from the Solar Energy International program and oh. asking them to help on their projects. So We Care Solar is um, their their product is called the Solar Suitcase, and they're a company that makes a portable solar electric. So because I then became affiliated with them, that's how I started doing projects. Um, so since then, I've put some solar panels in an orphanage in Haiti. I've helped um, students in the United States and specifically in New Jersey. Uh, learn how to install solar electric systems and um, and portable solar electric, and then I've also put some stuff in the um, helped helped with schools in in the um, Pine Ridge Indian Reservation and nice. helped education there. And where is that? It's in North Dakota. Okay, very cool. So, were you able to use the skills from your engineering background in these projects, or was that a new skill set um, you learned? You know. It, Engineering is such a useful field, like in terms of planning and organizing and thinking about what's important to people and, and analyzing trade-offs. So absolutely, but not not in a very specific way, but more in a general way, like how to plan a project, knowing what's going to go wrong, figuring out the failure modes. Um, so definitely those skills are, are very applicable. I mean, I think engineering is applicable in a lot of ways. That's working. That's cool. So tell me about specifically some of the things that you've seen in places you've gone that where something you did really had an impact? Oh. Um, well, one of the projects I worked on was putting a, a small solar electric system into an orphanage in Haiti. And um, my thought on that was that, you know, it's such a tiny thing. Like, it's a small electric system, like only 100 watts. And in the United States, 100 watts, we would burn that in a minute, you know, in one light bulb. But for them, that's four small lights, and we use a really high, highly efficient LED lights. So they went from having no lights to having four lights, and that's a huge difference in them. So for a small amount of money or a small project for me, um, they can study at night, and they can cook at night, and they can do things after dark, which they couldn't do. So um, I feel like it's very worth it. Like the, tra- the cost trade-off value is highly, highly profitable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, now they can charge their cell phones and they have lights. So that, that one, you know, it's easy to make a big impact that way. Mm-hmm. And you taught other people to make these as well. Yeah. So part of the, one of the things about um, the We Care Solar organization, and I, I love that organization. I think they're really amazing. They, they have two versions of the solar suitcase. One brings solar electric in a suitcase for medical purposes, like delivering babies. And they have a second version that they use to, um, in the United States, it's a training tool for students in the United States to learn about solar energy. And so it comes with a kit and a curriculum and teachers here could build it and teach their students about it. And then they build the equipment 
and then they donate donate it someplace. So they call it the We Share suitcase, so that um, students can give it to somebody, like an orphanage, that and it becomes the lights for them. So that sharing aspect is really part of it, like the community service as well as education. So for that piece of equipment, I've helped some uh, Southampton schools. We got a grant from uh, Sustainable New Jersey to to build some systems for them, and also. Um, Princeton University and some of the local universities and uh, high schools that have bought the equipment and built them and then learned about it and then also given it to places where it becomes the lights. Nice. Yeah. You, um, so you talked about your, the way you get on the a path to something isn't necessarily the kind of excitement that people think about, but it's sort of you to get on a on a trail and follow that, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. you know. So why environmentalism? I feel like sometimes people, especially now, are overwhelmed with all of the things that we could definitely be helping the world with, and people get, don't know which way to go. You mm-hmm. know, there's just so much to do that sometimes people almost get um, uh, stagnated. They just can't do anything, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's based on my background. That's an area that I can actually do something with and that I can envision things happening. And, um, you know, in the United States, even though I picked solar stuff and that wasn't in my background originally, there's a lot of, I think, I feel like I could also have a role in educating people just in how to make smart decisions because especially like I'm in New Jersey, uh, you know, we have New Jersey, the opportunity for a lot of like uh, offshore wind and there's there's bigger ways that could help bigger ways that wind turbines could help bigger populations or bigger areas. But people are not necessarily aware of them or they only hear bad things about them. So, um, yeah, it's like I want to help help the world around me. And I try to do things in a place where I can see the impacts, either New Jersey or a specific community or a orphanage or someplace where I can actually do something that could work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you recently uh, were working on a game of some kind. I don't oh, know yeah. that I know all the details of it, so yeah. I want to hear more about it. So this is interesting, too. So I I signed up for, because I'm kind of like technical and techie, you know, in my background, I signed up for the Rutgers Environmental Stewards Program, which is a local program for community members, adults. Uh, it's not credit, but it was a class that was taught by Rutgers professors. Um, and it was 20 weeks, and each week a different professor came in Uh, and spoke about an environmental issue in New Jersey and very, very targeted and relevant information. And then in order to graduate from the class, you're supposed to do a project with an environmental impact. So people did amazing things, by the way. The class was really good, and people did, like, projects on um, recycling uh, plastic bags, uh, using food waste because people throw away all this food and it could be recycled or reprocessed. Um, so there was all these cool like projects that people did, but the one that I did with a, with another woman in the class was to create um, a game that educates people about sea level rise, specifically for New Jersey. And it had come at the request of the Jacques Cousteau, I gotta say it right, Jacques Cousteau Estuary uh, Reserve. And this is an organization in Tuckerton where um, you know they have an interest in the marshlands and the bays and stuff in New Jersey, but. Um, you know, a lot of people in New Jersey on the shore and also on the Delaware Bay side are affected by sea level rise. And, you know, it has a political implication, which doesn't really have to. Like, it's it's actually very data-driven. Like, there's things happening. So they had asked for... Um, so regardless of who you are, what you believe, 
the sea is still rising, right? The data is, yeah, right. And people are being impacted both with, you know, like in Ocean City, New Jersey, for example, it's affecting like um, house prices and, you know, towns on the Bayside that are getting flooded repeatedly. So the, um, the museum there had asked for an exhibit, which turned into a game about you know, what's actually happening. And we wanted to make it a little bit fun and, and sort of distract people from like some horrific data. Like you don't want to be like, ah, you know, horrible data. So uh, what we did is we have a game. You roll the, you shake the big dice, you know, it's like a three inch dice. You shake it and then you roll the dice and then um, it tells you which category to pick. And then you pick a card and the card has like a funny cartoon, like sort of a distracting cartoon and then a fact about sea level rise in the local area. So you give this to them with a spoonful of sugar? Yeah, exactly idea? right. Like if they're laughing at the cartoon. And I, you know, I made all these characters in the cartoons. Like, you know, there's Grouchy Carlos and there's there's like happy kids that are like save the day and like superheroes. And there's all these sort of cartoon characters. Mm-hmm. But I, I, With full disclosure, <laughs> I think one of them might be based yeah, on me. One of them is the Robin character, although I don't call it that. Okay. <laughs> She's the chemist, the crazy chemist, you know. <laughs> She's measuring the sea level, like the volume of water changes, the temperature changes. Because thermal expansion, by the way, is a big impact. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and she has a squirrel, <laughs> you know. But um, so they pick a card, and on the card is questions, and it's like multiple choice. And then when you turn the card over, you get the answer. And surprisingly, the answers are always like the one that's worst, almost always. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my god. And then, depending on if you get the answer right, you can slide the slider down and see. There's a card, like a board, that slides. The house comes out of the sea level. Okay. And then the one that was really interesting to me with respect to that, we we put we had like six sides on the dice, and we didn't have that many categories of questions. So we made one that was like, you tell it, like your own personal experience. And then when people play it, like they roll the dice, and then surprisingly, if they get that one, people have all kinds of things to say about their own personal experience, like things that happened to them in Hurricane Sandy or places that they know are flooded or, you know, like a woman was from India and she was telling stories about things in India. So that that's been a really interesting category for people to say, like, this is happening to me. Uh-huh. So, And then people seem to love the game, which I didn't expect that to happen. But um, So where has it been played or where can you So get we've it used it locally. Um, we had it at the Mount Laurel Library. We've had it with some uh, environmental groups. We had it with some Cub Scouts. Um, it's going to live at the, uh, the Tuckerton Seaport Museum on the second floor in Tuckerton. Uh, so if you go up there, they have an exhibit, like a whole floor about water stuff and sea rise. And um, if there's if it's a time that this museum is being staffed, there'll be a staff member there, and the game is there. And you could you could walk up and you could play one, or if you're interested, you can stay and play for a couple of rounds. And what is the name of this game? Uh, it's called See How High. Ah, very clever. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, yeah, I, I I really I'm kind of surprised because I was like going into it not realizing that it would be fun, um, but people seem to love it and they play it and then it's educational and. Um, I think it really is serving its purpose. Nice. Any any plans to franchise it or to uh, well, get you know it what? That was it was so weird because, I mean, we were so originally it was supposed to be like a sixty-hour volunteer project, right? And we spent way more hours than that, and we were like gluing things and making dice and printing cards and all this. Um, but we had so many requests for people that wanted to like make their own version of it that we're working with the Seaport Museum and with Rutgers. Um, program, Rutgers Environmental Stewards program, to put it onto their website. So if you filled out a, a little form saying like what your, you know, what your association was or what your affiliation was and how you plan to use it, um, then you'll be able, we haven't finished it yet, but we'll be able to download the, the cards and you know, you have to cut them and print them, but, um, and you could play the game yourself. 
Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. That sounds like fun. Yeah. It's, it, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. We kept doing more and more things. People wanted more of it. So, yeah. And I should put a plug in for that program because the Rutgers Environmental Stewards Program, it's continuing. Um, you know, there's going to be a new round of it starting. They were supposed to start this in the beginning of this month, but they, I think they pushed it back a little bit. But people in New Jersey, there's one in not every county, but many counties in New Jersey where you, if you had an interest in environmental things, you could sign up for this program. And it was really educational. Great. We will find the link and let people yeah, know about I can, it. So. I can definitely do that. Um, yeah, they have them in a couple of different counties. And the ones that are towards the shore talk more about shore issues. You know, the other ones talk more about like farming. Um, well, and you didn't ask this question, but I'm thinking of one other thing. One other thing that people could do is almost every town in New Jersey has a local green team. Like your towns have an environmental commission and then a lot of New Jersey towns and maybe other states too have a green team that works on green issues in their town. And and I've never known this, so that's yeah, really cool. You could go and like find out if there's a green team in your town, show up at their meetings, see what they're working on. A lot of times they're like really kind of small local things like more trees or recycling or like my town had a big thing with like you know, it's uh, recycling, but people throw stuff in there that really can't be recycled. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to educate people about, you know, proper recycling. I got a tour of the recycling plant. It was eye-opening. Wow. I just heard about that called, it's called inspirational recycling. Like people think something should be recyclable, so they put it in, or they're not sure, so they put it in. Yeah. And I realize, I, I realize I've been guilty of that, and it actually doesn't, from what you said, it doesn't actually help the Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was so shocked. I, we got the tour of the recycling plant, the Burlington County one, and like, you know, well, first of all, it's not a magic process, right? People are sorting by hand. I mean, there's some automated sorting, but, you know, people are picking out things like, you know, umbrellas that, you know, that, that can't be, like, sorted. Or I saw, like, a plastic bottle full of syringes. Somebody picked that out. It's like a person has to take that stuff out if it's not. Right. And then the other one that. That's extreme. <laughs> yeah, that's extreme. And people think that just because it has the recycling symbol on it means that it can be recycled, which is, is not always true. You have to look at your town or your county and see how they're doing it. And then plus, for most places, the plastic bags, like grocery bags, are really not recyclable in that process. And they jam up. They, there's like You can look at the video where they get just all wrapped around the sorting equipment. So, uh, yeah, you got to take them somewhere else. Uh-huh. And that was actually somebody's project in, one, in our class. Somebody took all them. Uh, I think she was in Mount Laurel. And took them to the place that makes Trex um, uh, deck boards. And she took all the plastic bags, collected them, and they made it into a park bench. Nice. Yeah. So that was a good one. Yes. But that's good. That's good to remember that you can't recycle just anything. And if you put the wrong thing in, someone's got to do it. Somebody has to climb in there and and take it out. Yeah. Right. right. That's wow. So I guess my, my last main question for you is one of the things I love about you most is that you find the coolest things to do all the time. You always have some project. It's always surprising. You're racing boats, you're dancing, <laughs> you're, That's true. you know, just doing really interesting things. And I wonder how you find these things, because I, I'm always, one of the things that I notice I say to you when we talk is, how did you know about that? That's oh, yeah. amazing. So where do you learn about the things that you, um, you do, and how would you inspire other people to find things? Well, I guess, I mean, I learn about things the same way. I mean, I see it on TV or Facebook or whatever, but I think what happens with me is something catches in my mind. Like I'm naturally curious. And then a lot of times I'll write things down like, okay, I'm going to call this person later. And I'm, I'm not shy about asking people like, Hey, I'm really interested in that. Can, you know, is there a way that I can help or, uh, you know, can I find out more? And then I just connect the dots like, Oh, you know, I, 
like I went on the um, the people were doing like uh, a, an underwater sonar survey of like looking for sunken ships, and I was like, oh, I can do that, you know. <laughs> and I just came and said, like, I can drive a ship. I know about a sonar, and I showed up. And I think just I don't know if other people do that, but for me, like, I guess I show up and I'm interested, and people believe me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, come along, you know. Now, do you think someone who doesn't have those particular skills could could do that? Just call up and say, I'm interested in marine biology. Can I help out somehow? I think you can. Um, well, I think with me. I have the luxury of having some free time. So everybody loves a volunteer, right? Like I'm not getting paid. Well, for the most part, I'm not getting paid for things that I just, you know, it's just my love of learning that I go do things. Um, mm-hmm. For the solar suitcase, I did write some grants where I wrote myself in a, a paycheck. You know, I wrote myself in as the teacher. And in that case, it's like I had to do a lot of paperwork up front to structure something that would get me into a, a paid position for that. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I'm just like, you know, I'm constantly seeing something and then seeing that, oh, I'm interested in that. And then I just walk towards it mm-hmm. and then things emerge. I ask people like, hey, what are you doing? I think that's a good thing to remember, you know, just ask the next question. Yeah. Like, I don't know where that's going a lot of times. I'm just like, hey, what's going on here today? And then I just go there and find out the next one. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Does your yoga practice help you with any of this? Oh, I definitely feel like, um, you know, things move in waves for me like I'll I'll get like my brain gets hungry and I'll go towards towards some technical project and be all immersed in it and then I'll realize like oh I need to be more grounded and I'll go back and do my meditation um, and I've always felt between the teaching and and yoga practice that that that's a counterbalancing issue that um, you know things get frantic or hectic uh, that I come back to that and that's a grounding and often I forget and then I re- then suddenly like oh I got to do that again and get back to it mm-hmm. yeah Coming back to uh, beginner's mind. Yeah, right. Just yeah. coming back to balance. Yeah. You know? um, there's a statement like that in the, uh, in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. Like, they basically translated, he says, like, if you fall off, just come back. Like, don't give yourself any grief, just come back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's good to remember. Yeah. Thank you very much, okay, Linda Gaffney. I will uh, look forward to talking to you again, and okay. thanks for joining the Leftscape. You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Find us online at Leftscape.com, on Twitter at Leftscape, and on Facebook at Leftscape. The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. New episodes every Wednesday. The adventures we will have, the scurvy pervy fun, no sales fee of the bakery, with lots of booty for everyone! We're the pirates of the new hope, your hope, cruising where the sun don't shine, into the briny deep